Okay. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome to all of you over in the, the venue. Blessings to all of you. Maybe you're watching online. You're a part of our online uh, campus or maybe you're out in the cafe. We're grateful you're all uh, with us. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3, okay? Get your finger in there, Romans uh, chapter 3. Today, as uh, Pastor Rich said and, and also Pastor Scott, we're beginning our, our annual REACH conference or, or for those of you um, that might uh, be a little older, been around the church a little longer, it's been called uh, Missions Conference, REACH or Missions, same thing. Um, and it's always a big deal to us here at Big Valley Grace. This will be my 40th uh, REACH conference that I've been involved in here at Big Valley Grace. And my life has been enriched. I think one of the reasons why I'm standing here right now is because of all of the missions or REACH conferences that I've been involved in here at Big Valley Grace over the years. And uh, our conference has two big major goals. Okay, it has a lot of smaller goals, but I'm gonna give you two major goals. And the first one is this, our, our REACH conference gives us the chance to remind everybody um, about who we support out there. Some of you are brand new to the church. You just became members this year. Maybe you became a member last year. Maybe you've been around here so long, you know, your hair's turning color like mine. You have, just have a hard time remembering things. Um, and, and this is a, a, a chance where we get to remind everybody of who we support out there. When that little green basket went by you a little bit ago, um, a lot of amazing things happened during that, whatever it is. What is that, about half a second? And that half a second where you get to worship the Lord with your gift, we use a piece of that to uh, hire people that literally don't have offices here, but they are literally all over the globe. They're in, they're in uh, uh, Germany. They're in Africa. Uh, we have partners all over the globe. And our REACH conference, we get to remind you of who they are. And so next weekend... You'll get a brochure and you'll see all of our partners that are all over the globe and how you can pray for them. Some of you are going to go, oh yeah, I forgot, we do support this person. And it's kind of fun, it's kind of neat. And you need to know who these people are that you support. The following week, we kind of highlight all of our local partners. In fact, I'll have a whole bunch of them up on this platform and we'll interview them and all of them will have little tables out there and you'll have all kinds of opportunities to get involved uh, with them. So that's the first reason why we do a conference, just to remind us all of who some of these great men and women are out there touching the, literally the world for Christ. And number two, our REACH conference gives us the chance to remind everybody that it's God's expectation that all of us are involved in reaching people. We just don't pay families or people to go all over the world and touch lives, and we just don't pay these local partners of ours to go out and touch lives, and, and it's their responsibility, you see. No, 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 it's all of our responsibilities, and that's one of the great things about our REACH conference is that we're reminded of this great truth. It was two years ago, I was in uh, Kentucky at a conference, and one of the speakers, uh, 
was a man by the name of Dr. Steve Gaines, and he was the senior pastor at uh, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, and he's also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he asked everybody this question, and I asked you this question too when I got back. And it's such a weighty question, I'm gonna ask it again. And it's this, if, if all your prayers were answered this week, how many lost people would be saved? So you think about the last, you know, week, 168 hours, you figure all the moments that you prayed, how many lost people would be saved if God would have answered your prayers? In other words, how many lost people did you pray for? And I remember when I saw that question in Kentucky, wow. I knew, I knew the answer, it was three people. If God would have answered all my prayers, there were three people that would be in the kingdom because I was only praying for three people. I want you to know, obviously, since last year, uh, that number has grown, praise the Lord. But I really want you to just think about that. And if you feel guilty, that's not because of me. That might be just the Holy Spirit working in your life. And just embrace it. You might be feeling a conviction that, wow, I don't pray enough for the lost. You see, we can spend a, a lot of time praying for our spouses and our kids and our family members, our, our parents or whatever. Uh, we can spend a lot of time praying for people that are struggling with health issues. Uh, I know I spend a lot of time praying for all of our folks down at our our uh, new campus that we planted in series. I spent a lot of time this week praying for Wilson Capullo, who's right now doing a class. It started this morning at 8.30. My, my wife is in there. I'd be in there if I didn't have a job that I had to do. But at 8.30 this morning, he started a class. He's one of our local partners, and he's uh, helping th that group, but it's a great group in there. Uh, learn about the Sikhs in our community, the Hindus, the Muslims, and uh, so we have a better understanding of who these people are. So we might have a better understanding of how we can, you know, start up conversations with them and all of those kinds of things. Spent a lot of time praying for that. And those are all things we should pray for. We should pray for our spouses and our kids and, and we should pray for health issues and all of that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think God wants us to do that. He invites us to do that. But in the midst of it all, are we praying for those that don't know Christ? Do we even you know, build relationships with those that don't know the, 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 the Lord? 
So with this said, I want to lay a foundation before I get into the meat of the message. Okay, now it's going to take me some time to, to get through this, but I, I think it'll be worth it when it's all said and done. In fact, at the very end, we're going to do something special. We're going to invite you to come forward as we sing, and, and we're going to ask you to make a commitment. And last night, those are all of the, the commitments, and we're just going to add your commitment uh, to those from last night and then last hour and all of that, and we'll do that over in the, the venue also. Romans chapter 3, okay, you're all there. Romans chapter 3 says this. There is no one righteous. Okay, remember, it's the Holy Spirit that has filled our brother Paul. So it, it's accurate to say that this is God talking to us. He's telling us some information. He says there's no one righteous, not even one there is no one who understands, no one seeks God, no one. And beloved, I want you to know that, that this is a critical biblical truth, capital T, that all of you need to understand. There's no one, not one person who's right before God, not one. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because of sin. It's because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. There's nobody who's right before God. There's not one person who understands the things of God. Why? Because of sin, because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Nobody understands the things of God. Nobody. And number three, not one person seeks after God. Not one. Why? Because Sin, because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, won't allow you to seek after God. Beloved, Paul makes it crystal clear here that everybody's blown it. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, rich, poor, uh, young, old, uh, uh, Democrat, Republican. It doesn't matter. There's not one person who is right before God. There's not one person who understands the things of God. And there's not one person who seeks after God. Everybody is a slave to his or her own sin. And you need to understand that biblical truth. Got to understand it. When you do, it changes you know, your, your, your whole life. It changes church. It changes why you get up in the morning. When you really understand the fact that sin has made it impossible for anybody to seek after God. In fact, I wrote out this sentence for everybody. Mankind is totally depraved and unable to grasp God. Mankind is in total darkness as it relates to the things of God. Total darkness, total depravity, which is why Jesus said this in John chapter 6. Jesus said, nobody can come to me. Why? Because sin has so impacted humanity, nobody seeks after him. And so nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, the Father is the only one with the juice or the power to overcome what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered into the equation of life. 
And so it makes sense that Jesus would say, hey, look, no one can come to me. Not one person can come to me unless the Father draws them. Jesus went on to say this in John chapter 15. You didn't choose me because you couldn't choose me. It was impossible for you to choose me. Sin had so impacted your life, you couldn't choose me. You couldn't seek after me. But here's the deal. I can choose you. I, I, I can do that. Jesus went on to say something really, really interesting. Remember what, uh, or how Peter answered Jesus' question in Matthew chapter 16? It says this in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, hey guys, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Hey, what's the word on the street? Well, what are people saying about me? As you guys are out running around town, you know, getting coffee, doing whatever it is you do, what are people saying about me? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah, or maybe one of the other prophets. In other words, there was all kinds of, you know, opinions about who Jesus was, just like there is today. Some thought he was John the Baptist, you know, some thought he was Elijah who came back, or Jeremiah, or one of the other Old Testament prophets that had come back to life. Then Jesus asked him, how about you? What, what, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Okay, there are other people out there think I'm John the Baptist, some think I'm Elijah, some think I'm Jeremiah, some think I'm one of the other prophets. What about you? Who do you think that I am? And Peter answers, well, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. You didn't learn this by going to Big Valley Grace and hearing that great preacher down there. You didn't learn this because you did an internet search. You didn't learn this because you were in a great home group. You're blessed and the reason why you're blessed is because the Father drew you to himself. He drew you to me. You didn't figure that out on your own because you couldn't figure that out on your own. There isn't anybody, according to Romans 3, who seeks after God. Nobody does. Now, the enemy has made sure that there are other gods, little g, that you'll seek after. A lot of goat people find little g's out there. But finding the one true living God, no, that's all a work of the Lord drawing you to himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, the God of this age, and that's a little g, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot. He's just reaffirming, you know, what he said in Romans chapter three. People cannot see the light of the gospel. They cannot find God. They cannot seek after the one true living God. It's impossible. They cannot do it. Peter 
could not seek after God. It had to be the Lord drawing him to himself. That's an interesting piece of information that God gives us. That the unbelievers that we run across, they, they cannot understand the gospel. It's impossible for them to understand the, the gospel. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that God is seeking after people. Mankind isn't seeking after God, but the good news is, is that God is seeking after people. He's seeking, and he has the ability, he has the, the power to open the eyes of those that have been blinded by sin and the enemy. This is the, the beautiful thing about the gospel, is that you and I, we weren't seeking after God because it was impossible for us to seek after God. But God loved us. He cared about us. He cared about you. And so he went seeking you. He came after you. Because he loved you and cared about you. You see, the reason why you're sitting here, you know, this morning worshiping God is simply because God went after you. He opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. It was all him. It had to be him because your sin wouldn't let you have anything to do with Jesus. Let me again remind you what Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Wow. You see, when you really get this at a, at a deeper level, it changes your relationship with the Lord. When you understand just how great gracious God was to you. That it was him who was at work in your life. It was him. You had nothing to do with it. In Luke chapter 15, we really see the heart of God. Everyone turn to Luke chapter 15 real quick, okay? Luke chapter 15. In verse one, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I'll let you figure that one out. Um, often came to listen to Jesus to teach. So imagine this. All these sinful people were being drawn to Jesus for lots of reasons. Well, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and he was even eating with them. There are a lot of Christians I know that are like that, by the way. It's really tragic to me, but there are. Verse three says, so Jesus told them this story. It's really a parable that contains three stories. Okay? He's going to tell them the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And as I read these stories, I want you to keep in mind the context of these stories. Jesus is explaining to all of these people that were listening why he was hanging out with sinners, why he was doing life with sinners, why he was eating with sinners and going to the places where sinners go. Sinners are lost, right? They, they don't realize they're lost. Some of you are, are lost. 
but you don't realize you're lost, right? Some of you over in the venue, you're lost. You don't realize you're lost. Maybe you're watching online, you're lost, but you don't realize you're lost. You don't realize it. And we know that sinners can't find God. It's impossible. Their sin makes it, makes it impossible for them to find God. But, but God loves them deeply and he came looking for them. He came, came seeking them, which is what these three stories are about, okay? Look at verse four. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my one lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Verse eight, or, here's the second story, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in all of her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my coin that was lost. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. That's an interesting verse, by the way. In the same way, there is joy in the presence. So here, imagine all the angels in heaven and there's joy in their presence. Who, who's the one with the joy? Where, where's, who's the, who, who's that? Who's full of joy? We'll let you do some homework. Look at verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told this story. By the way, some of you are dying. It's God. God's the one who's full of joy. Okay. He's the one who's just full of joy in the presence of all these angels. Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So imagine, I don't know, you know, I, I, my kid, one of my kids came to me and said, hey dad, listen man, you're getting old. Hair's gray, got, knees are all goofed up. Can't see anymore. <laughs> Hair's coming out of places. It's not supposed to come out. I, I, I know you're not dead yet, but I, I like my, my share of the inheritance. Okay? And for me, it'd be about, I don't know, $12.86. I think that's what all three of my kids get. It's not much. But I, I want my inheritance. I know you're not dead, but I want my inheritance. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About this time, uh, 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 his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, and that's a beautiful sentence right there. When this young man finally came to his senses, some of you right now are waiting for your teenage son to come to his senses, right? Some of you are waiting for your teenage daughter to come to their senses. Some of you are waiting for your dad to come to his senses, right? Some of you are, are waiting for your parents to come to their senses. They're out there living in a crazy way. They're just living in disobedience, doing all kinds of things. It's breaking your heart, right? And you're just waiting, oh God, may, may my dad, may my mom, may my parents come to their senses. It's, that, 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 that is a, a weighty little thought here. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and, and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me in as one of your hired servants. So he's out, you know, lost all of his money. He's feeding pigs. He's holding up pig food thinking, man, uh, this looks good, and now he's going, oh man, I blew this thing. I sinned. I really messed up. And now he's rehearsing a speech. We've all done it, right? We've done something stupid, and you start thinking about, oh man, what am I going to say to my teacher? You know, what am I going to say to my parents? What am I going to say to whoever it is? And he, you're running through your mind how you're going to pull it off. And so here he is. I'll go back, and I'll say, Dad, I blew it. I, I, I fumbled, I sinned, I'm, I'm not worthy to, to carry on your last name, I'll change my name, just give me a job, I'll live with the servants, just give me a job, and, and, and I'll just stay out here and, and I'll serve you. He's running this through his mind, I'm just sure that his dad is just going to be really ticked off, really mad, Okay. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. There's this idea here in this parable, this story, that the father, you know, every day would wake up and get his binoculars out. Just kind of look. Where's that dumb son of mine? <laughs> Where's he? Where's he at? Not today. Next morning, he'd get up and pull out his binoculars. See out there? Oh, man. Oh, is he out there? Today? Maybe today's the day. Oh, he's not here today. And then there was one day. What? I think that's my son. I think that's him. Here he comes. Filled with love and compassion. What? This kid came to his dad and said, Dad, I want, I want my dough. 
I don't want to even wait for you or mom to die. He went out and blew it. Spent it on women and, and, and drugs and parties and blew it. Filled with love and compassion over this sinful punk. How, how, can, how can this dad be filled with love and compassion over that kid? He ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. Wow. His son said to him, remember he had the speech already. I'm sure this kind of spun him out a little bit. What, Dad's hugging me and kissing me. What's up? Something's up. You know, he's going to lower the boom here any second. Okay, Dad, here's the speech. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And the dad knew. I know you're sorry. I know it. I know. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe I got in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. <laughs> Look, Jesus came because people were lost. They were sinners. They were just like this boy, just punks, arrogant, prideful. Dad, give me the money. I know I didn't, I didn't make it. You did it. It's your business. You're the one who did it all, but I want money. And he goes out and squanders everything that his dad had worked for. It was, it was sinful. But God loved him anyway. He loves sinners anyway. You might be sitting in here right now and you're going, Pastor, you don't know what I did last night. I don't care what you did last night. You don't know what I've been doing for the last year of my life. I don't care. Well, the last 10 years of my life. It doesn't matter to me what you were doing. I don't care. And the reason why I don't care is because the God that's revealed between these two leather-bound covers doesn't care. He came anyway. And he loves you anyway. He loves you deeply. And maybe, like the story, he saw you walking into church today. Oh, man. Yes. Yes, I've been drawing him. He's here today. She's here today. They're here today. Wow. Look, here's the deal. Whenever somebody surrenders their life over to God, it's a big deal. They throw a party in heaven when someone comes to faith in Christ. Now look, I think God loves it that you're here today worshiping him. I think God, wow, they're singing songs to me. Wow, that's great. I think he really digs it when that little bag went by that you worshiped him without offering. Man, that's fantastic. Thank you for honoring the, 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 the word. 
I think he digs it that you sing in the choir or you play guitar or whatever it is you do. I think, well, thank you for using your, your talents for me. <laughs> but he throws a party for one thing. He throws a party when somebody gives their life to his son who hung on a cross. Woo! Yes! That's what gets God fired up to the point where there's rejoicing going on in, in the heavenly realms. I'm not saying God isn't happy when you obey him and you honor him in all the other areas of the word of God. But there's no doubt about it. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, wow, that's an amazing moment in heaven. That means a lot to, to him. Now, here's the twist in the message, okay? In fact, I'm gonna make it the key thought of the whole message. And the key thought of the message is this, is that when God goes seeking after someone, remember, it's all God, has to be. You, as his followers, have a role to play. Huh. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19. Jesus said, for the Son of Man, that's him, came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, and that makes sense. When you understand Romans 3, when you understand that theological truth of the capital T, that no one seeks after God, right? When, when you understand that, well, then you go, well, of course he had to come and seek and save the lost because nobody was gonna seek after him. They couldn't. So he had to come and he had to seek and to save the lost. He had to do it. And I think that might be, you know, a, just a very concise sentence of Jesus' job description. That's why he came. In, I don't know, two months, we're going to celebrate uh, the day that he came. There was a reason why we have that little baby in that little town called Bethlehem. There's a reason why he came. And the reason why he came is right there. That, that, that's why there's that baby. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? Okay. Now listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is now praying. And he says, Father, as, as you sent me into the world to seek and to save the lost, as you sent me into the world, now I, I'm, I'm sending them into the world. Oh, that's waiting. You see, 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 Jesus was sent to seek the lost, save the lost, because he's the only one who could do it. But now, Jesus is saying, okay, I'm recruiting you now. Part of your job description is you're going to partner with me in this seek and rescue mission. Now, he doesn't need us. <laughs> Think about how our brother Paul was saved. He's riding 
you know, on an animal towards Damascus. And God just shows up, speaks, boom, he falls off his horse. And hey, what are you doing, man? And the next thing you know, Paul's a follower of Jesus. He, he didn't use anybody, did he? And he could have done that with all of us. But what God does is he says, okay, I, I was seeking after you because you were lost. God drew you to me. God's the one who opened your eyes. And now here's the deal. I'm going to use you now. Let's partner up in this thing. You have a, you have a role to, to play. Jesus in Mark chapter 16 said to them, his followers, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And that doesn't mean that Jesus wanted you to carry around a pulpit, you know, and, you know, put it down and preach. He's just saying, proclaim it. Go. Just go out. Tell people about me. Think about this, and I, I wrote this down because it was just so mind-boggling to me. It says, um, my little quote is this, the God of the universe is seeking after lost people. I mean, that in and of itself is mind-boggling. Okay, what, why <laughs> the God of the universe, you know, wants anything to do with me? It's just, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I got human beings, I got some of you out here that want nothing to do with me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think about it. But God does. This is mind-boggling. God is seeking after guys like me. But then God gives you a role to play in this seeking process, you see? Here's how it works. God begins to draw a person to himself. And let me, let me just use my own life, if I could, for a minute. He, he began to draw me. God, for whatever reason, put his eyes on me and and uh, he used a guy by the name of Chuck Fair. Chuck Fair is now a, um, a pastor in Kentucky, matter of fact. He was here last Saturday night, sat right back there. And when I was young, I don't know, seven years old or whatever, Chuck Fair lived in my neighborhood. And Chuck Fair would drive by and pick up me. I, mom and dad had divorced at that time, and I was just a single kid. And he took an interest in my life, and he took me to church. And I can remember sitting in those little Sunday school classes hearing the stories of David and Goliath and Noah and the flood and all the stuff. Now, I didn't give my life to the Lord back then, but God used Chuck. And then, then I get to high school and had a coach, Coach B, Coach Burroughs. And you've heard me talk about these guys before because these are important people in my life. And Coach Burroughs was another person who, while I was at Davis High School, right down the road, began to tell me uh, about the, the, the Lord, and the Lord was important to him. And back then, you know, we could pray before games and after games, and, and Rich uh, uh, went, went to Davis, and, and you know, we, we, we'd huddle up, and Coach would always pray, and he'd always thank the Lord for us, the other team, and all of, all, all of, all of the, the things. Also at Davis High School was another kid by the name of Mike Pedlow, and he's now a pastor in uh, um, the wine country area, Santa Rosa. And Mike Pedlow was my age, 
and Mike Pedlow was a Christian, and, and he would talk about the Lord. He, he would talk about the things of God and invite me to church. And, and then there was another guy at Davis High School who was the campus life director. His name was George Brown, and George and Carmen used to sit right back there uh, at this hour, and they moved to uh, Idaho, or, or, or yeah, Idaho, I think it is. And uh, God used... Uh, 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 George. And, and then when I first went to the college group here at Big Valley Grace, I ran into a guy by the name of Greg Seipert. Some of you remember Greg. Greg is now with the Lord. And Greg, first time I met him, you know, sat me down and asked me those two questions. You know, if you were to die tonight, would you think you'd go to heaven? Well, you know, I'm, I'm okay, you know, and you know, I haven't murdered anybody. You know, I'm not Charlie Manson. Of course, I think God would want me. I mean, look at me. Who, who wouldn't want me? And, uh, and he said, I remember him saying, well, suppose you were standing before God. Well, when he were to say, why, would you, why should I let you in? What would you say to him? All of a sudden, I was confronted with some pretty weighty thoughts. And it was through these people who took seriously their role that here I am today. Now, God used other people too. I'm not saying these are the only ones. Think about the people in your life. Maybe it was a grandmother. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a youth pastor. Maybe it was Billy Graham. I don't know. Who was it? Who are the people in your life that God used? God was drawing you God was seeking after you, but he just used some other people. Just think about it. Who were those folks? And how did God use these people? God uses us in so many different ways, but I think Acts chapter one kind of captures something pretty clearly. He said to them, it is not, this is uh, Jesus talking, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. That's what all those guys were in my life. They were witnesses. Those that God used in your life were witnesses. That's all they were. And what is a witness? Well, if you've ever watched a show on TV about you know, the court of law or you've ever been in a trial, and I have, I was a witness in a number of trials. And you go, you raise your right hand, you sit down, and somebody asks you questions, and you just simply answer to what you know or what you saw or what you heard. That's all a witness is. You tell us what you saw. I, I don't tell them what I didn't see. I just... Tell them, here's what I saw. Well, what did you hear? Here's what I heard them say. I can't talk about what I didn't hear him say. All I can talk about is what I did hear him say. That's all the witness is. You just simply talk about what you know. And you don't worry about what you don't know. You see, too many witnesses for the Lord don't say anything because they're afraid of what they don't know. Don't worry about what you don't know. Just worry about what you do know. When I was put on the witness stand, the, the attorneys weren't worried about what I didn't know. They just wanted to know what I did know. 
And when I first gave my life to the Lord and, and I took the baton and said, God, you want me to help you? I'll help you. And I became one of his witnesses. It was simply, um, hey, look, man, I know that my sin had separated me from God. And because of that, I was headed for a Christless eternity. And, and then Jesus came and died on a cross for me, walked out of a tomb, proven he was God. And when I gave my life to him, everything was right. I get to go to heaven now. And if somebody asked, well, uh, what about, you know, the Crusades? Well, I don't know anything about the Crusades, but what I can tell you is, is that, man, I was a sinful person and my sin had separated me from God. But God loved me and he sent his son and when I received him into my life, he cleansed me of my sin and made everything right between God, me and God. Uh-huh, well, let me ask you, what, what what's this rapture thing? Man, I don't even know what that word means. All I can tell you is this, is that, man, I was a sinful person and my sin had separated me from God. But then God sent his son, Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus, he came in and cleansed me of my sin and it made everything right between me and God. Uh, well, what's this whole deal between you Protestants and the Catholics? Man, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But what I do know is this. All I kept coming back to was I witnessed to what I knew. That's all. Let me, let, me, let me just remind you of something, folks. Don't think you have to have the answers to everything and have all the verses down just right and have some great story because if, 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 if you just do all that, that somehow you know, people will give their life to Christ. You have nothing to do with it. It's all him. He's the one who draws people to himself. He's the one who opens people's eyes to the truth. I can't tell you how many times I've botched up things. Uh, I have preached, whether it be from this pulpit, at camps, other churches where, I, you know, I'm two minutes into my message and I'm boring myself. I'm just, wow, this is really boring. This isn't going down like it was in my office. This is stupid. This is dumb. It didn't even make any sense to me. Well, how did I even, and I'm, I'm literally thinking that, thinking, oh man, I just got to get out of here. I just want to end this thing and get out of here. Then I get to the end and, and I, you know, I got a thing here, invite people, you know, into the altar room to give their life to Christ. And I'm thinking, no, nah, I'm not going to do that because man, they just want to get out here and go to lunch. You know, I mean, I want to go to lunch. I, I mean, I, 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 why am I even a Christian? I'm, I'm thinking this. And I get done and go, hey, look, uh, you can go into the altar room, you know, and the next thing I know, you know, there's 50 people in the altar room. Well, what are they doing in there? Well, giving their life to Christ. Really? <laughs> Did they hear the same message I heard? Were they listening to a podcast? I mean, really? And then I've had messages where, man, I want you to know, man, I was preaching. Whoo, whoo. Man, I was on fire. I was on fire, man. I'm thinking, oh, man, we don't have enough counselors in the altar room, man. I'm telling you right now, when I get to the end of this thing, people are going to get up and repent of their sin and be baptized. A revival's breaking out, baby. And I'm, I'm preaching, woo, hit, and I get to the end. Not a person goes into the altar room. I think it's one of the ways that God just says, Rick, you just be faithful and realize, yeah, you got nothing to do with this, man. You got nothing to do with it. 
You just be faithful. So let me tell you how you can be a great witness. I'm gonna go through these real quick and then we'll have a, a great time at the end. I'm gonna tell you how you can be a great witness. The first one is this, is live your life with excellence and do your job with excellence. That's being a good witness. Paul says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, it doesn't say you gotta live a perfect life. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've done things I'm just really embarrassed of. You know? <laughs> I'm human. I'm thankful it doesn't say you have to live a perfect life. But what you want is you look at the pattern of somebody's life, not, not one moment of their life. If I could take a snapshot of just one moment of all of our lives, whoa, we'd all have moments. We just go, yee, really? That's the snapshot you took? But you hope that the pattern of your life would be one where you just lived with excellence, and you did your job with, with excellence. In other words, be a good worker. You'll witness by your work or the quality of your work. Christians should be the, the, the absolute best employees on the planet or the best employers on the planet. There's an old saying that goes like this, you know, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read and I think to some degree that's true. Some people are never gonna read the book, but you know what? You work with them or you work you know, for somebody or a bunch of people work for you and they're, they're looking at your life. And if you're an employee that's always griping and complaining about the boss and, and what's going on and you know, you're punching five minutes late and you're, you're always the first one to you know, wait for five o'clock to punch out and, 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 and people see this and then you go to them in a month and say, hey, I was wondering, would you like to come to my church to the Christmas musical we have? You know what they're thinking? Hey, look. If I, I don't know, give my life over to the God you worship, I don't, I don't want him because I don't want to be, be like you. If you represent what God is by how you work, you keep him. I don't want him. And I think that happens. Really bothers me when I hear people go, eh, man, I, I hate my job. I gotta work with a bunch of sinners. Well, that's horrible, isn't it? Jesus came and died on a cross for a bunch of sinners. And you can't work with them and be a witness for God for them. I have I've had many People that own businesses. Not everybody, but I've had some business owners say to me, the worst person to hire is a Christian. They're the worst. For a lot of different reasons. And that just shouldn't be the case. You want to be a good witness for the Lord? And then just, you know, go to work and do your job well. Put in your eight hours or whatever it is and walk out and be a blessing to everybody. Do whatever the boss says. He's the boss. She's the boss. 
Just do it. They're the ones that work their way up the, the, the chain or whatever. N- n- number two, love and enjoy those that God brings into your life that are unsaved. Sometimes we can so isolate ourselves that, you know, we, we come to church and we sit with all of our Christian friends and our, our small group is all Christian people and the only people we ever hang out are, are, are Christians. And I think one of the things that we need to do, especially in the American church, is be strategic in how we get out and... Um, Look, look, if everybody in your small group, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying as a believer, well, God's already drawn them. If everybody in this room, in the venue, or watching online was a believer, well, God's already drawn all of us. He's already done the work here. There's a second part to this, and that is he's, there's a whole lot of other people he's trying to reach, and I think we need to be much more strategic about how we live our lives and what we do. That's one of the things that, that I'm always thinking about in my own personal life. I want to be strategic. I join a gym for a particular reason. There's a whole lot of people in there who don't know the Lord, and I want to build relationships with them. I'm always thinking about ways that I can get out there and mix it up with people who don't know the Lord. I only got, I, 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 you know, if, if, if my life is an 18-hole, you know, golf match, 18 holes, I'm way past the first nine. I'm coming up the back nine. And I want the back nine to count. And so I'm always thinking, I'm always dreaming, and I'm, I'm always strategizing. How can I get out there and be with people who don't know Christ? Help me, God. I love being around them. I love talking to them. And if you want to be a good witness, then, then do your job well, be a good employee, be a good neighbor, whatever all that might be, and then enjoy those that God brings into your life because God's trying to bring people into your life that don't know him. Why? Because he, he loves them. And he wants to use you in their life. And last but not least, always be ready to share your story of faith, uh, be, you know, being a witness with those that God brings into your life. In other words, you got to be prepared. you got to know what to say. When I took the witness stand in the two trials I've been in, the attorneys had me practice. You know, well, here's what they're going to do. <laughs> you know, and I didn't worry about anything because I was just going to tell everybody what I knew. So you could try to trick me all you want. It was just, okay, whatever. This is what I know. Just talk about what you know. But it's always good to continue to learn and study and grow so that when you are witnessing for him, you can talk about more things. You can answer uh, more, more, more questions. And here's what I want everybody to do. Everybody pull that card out right now. Okay, everybody pull that card out. And this is what we're asking you to do. I, I, our missions department put this together and I, I just think it's really, really great. Our reach department really thought about this and, and uh, everybody has one. And this is what I'd like for everybody to do, okay? It says, I, and I want you to put your name there, will respond obediently and faithfully in praying for the lost to know Christ as their Savior. 
I will increase my efforts to participate in events and activities that expand the kingdom. I will look for opportunities to accept challenges outside my comfort zone, such as volunteering in my community to bring Christ to the lost, experiencing short-term mission trips, or something as radical as maybe even giving up my life, being a full-time missionary. I will uphold the greatest commandment as written in Matthew 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As a follower of Christ, I surrender myself to the task and commandment to commit to completing the Great Commission as entrusted to me by God in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And then I want you to sign it down here, and then I want you to date it. And we're going to sing one short song. And if you're up in the balconies or in the mezzanine or down here over in the venue, you'll go forward in the venue. You're just going you're gonna to take this, you're going to fold it over a couple of times, and then you're simply going to tear it. It's perforated for you already. You're going to put this one in your Bible to remember the commitment, and you're going to bring these forward, and you're going to put them in these glass jars. And what we're going to do is we're just going to be praying over these. These are all people who made that commitment. Imagine if all of them followed through on that commitment. Wow. We're going to add yours to it. And so I'd ask you to stand right now and we're going to sing this song together. You come forward and then at the very end of this song, I'll pray and then we can go about the rest of God's will for us today, okay? You know, we're, we're not going to call you up. Hey, you signed this thing. How you doing? I'm not going to do that. I hope that that little thing you keep inside your Bible will remind you of this moment, the commitment you're making. But I will tell you, all these will be added together and we'll bring them to our prayer meetings over the next month as we go through our seat conference. And we'll be praying for all of you that you take that commitment seriously. Because it'll make a difference. It makes a huge difference when we just obey the, 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 the Lord in, in an area like this. And so, Father, thank you, Lord, for all these names, just hundreds and hundreds of names, hundreds of people who are making a commitment to be more engaged in partnering with you to reach lost people. Thank you, Jesus, for your, your goodness to us. I think I speak for all of us when we say thank you for those that shared the gospel with us. They took serious the command to be a part of this search and rescue effort, if, if you will. Thank you, Jesus, for all of them. Bless our, our, our afternoon, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen.